time for another episode of Monster Kid Radio. This is episode 239, and we are kicking off the show with a song from the band Surf Flamingo. This song appears on the album Locoro Oceanica. And while that might mean ocean madness to you and me, the song is actually called Senior Lobo. I thought it was appropriate because Senior Lobo makes me think of wolves, which makes me think of the Wolfman, which makes me think of Lon Chaney Jr. And we're going to be talking about some Lon Chaney Jr. movies this week on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'm your writer, host, and producer of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, classic monsters, modern talk. Welcome to the show. I'm excited because this recording this week is something that I've had on deck for a little while now. Has it been about a month? I kind of lose track, especially this time of year. The weeks just kind of speed by, unfortunately. Paul McComas was in town. He was in the Pacific Northwest taking care of some business, and we made some time to meet in person and talk about the Inner Sanctum films. There are six films featuring Lon Chaney Jr. These are a lot of fun, some more so than others, but it's Lon Chaney Jr., and it's really hard to go wrong with Lon Chaney. And yeah, we're going to spoil the movie, so we're going to talk about all that with Paul, take a few delightful sidetracks in the world of Lon Chaney, and then we got a few other things to go over at the end of the show about some upcoming events. But before we get to that, I just want to say happy birthday to Paul. October 12th was his birthday, the day before this goes out, so Paul, if you're listening, happy birthday. And now, let's do this. <laughs> Buried alive in each man is a strange, depraved creature that turns the soul into a battleground of sin and violence, turning life into an inferno. In Dr. Henry Jeffers, this knowledge, perhaps it was his quiet ways, his unloving wife, his simple, homely face that drove him to unleash this inner presence. This was Jekyll's inferno. Dr. Jekyll gave life to the unspeakable evil of Mr. Hyde. Rich, handsome, decadent Mr. Hyde erupted to spew adultery, viciousness, murder in the greatest macabre spectacle of all time. American International Pictures presents a fascinating new Dr. Jekyll, a terrifying new Mr. Hyde. Robert Louis Stevenson's study in terrifying evil. Jekyll's Inferno. In color and megascope. It lives. Master, it's night again. Beautiful, dark, silent night. With the fog creeping in. Time for you to awaken, Master. Time for you to go out. Something terrible has happened. You dared open the bar door. Believe me when I say that what you're doing places yourself and the rest of your party in the gravest danger. Inside lie monsters greater than your worst nightmares. They were all evil in life and remained evil after death. And now... The terror is loose upon the podcasting world. Again. It's not in my power to help you. You're the only one that understands. Nobody else in the world will believe me. This September and October, dare to visit Supermate's estates and walk the halls in this hall of horror, this abode of angst. Return to 
the house of Frankenstein. Legends of classic horror spread their evil, but fear not, for your favorite heroes are here to challenge them. Do me a favor, Shaggy. Stay down. Guess not. Beware these masters of the macabre. Bella Lugosi. Your fate is to be what you are. Mine is to be what I am. Lon Chaney Jr. There's a curse upon me. I change into a wolf. Christopher Lee. I am come unto thee, O Osiris, who art cleansed of all impurities. Peter Cushing. Consequences? That sounds like a threat. And Ingrid Pitt. You must die! Everybody must die! Is Supermates Comic.blogspot.com production. Coming soon to an iTunes near you. Return to the house of Franklin Stein. They are just dying to greet you. you marrying a corpse, living in a grave. The vampire can assume very many different forms at will. Sometimes it appears as a bat, and sometimes as a small cloud of swirling vapor. In this way it can move unseen among its enemies. Son of Dracula, searing the screen with new terror in this weird tale of the living dead who rise from the grave at night to prey on unsuspecting victims. With Louise Albritton, Robert Page, Evelyn Ankers, Frank Craven, J. Edward Bromberg, and Lon Chaney as the new Count Dracula, you'll shudder at the screen's most fascinating woman vampire, luring men with cold beauty and the promise of immortality. Count Alucard is immortal. Through him, I attained immortality. Through me, you will do the same. Magic of an Ancient Cult, starring Lon Chaney, Anne Gwynn, Evelyn Ankers, with Lois Collier, Ralph Morgan, Elizabeth Risden, Elizabeth Russell. This house is full of something evil. Evil? Yes, it's you. Don't. Why are you terrorizing my wife? I don't even care anymore what people are saying, laughing at me. Oh, stop it. I never asked for such devotion from you, and I don't want it. Answer. Hello? 
this is the first Monster Kid Radio listeners. I'm excited because I've got somebody sitting across from me. We're going to be recording in person. Now, you've heard him on the show before, but he's always been on the phone or by Skype. I am now looking at the man. A man, anyway. Well, (laughs) Paul McComas, welcome to Monster Kid Radio headquarters. Derek, I am thrilled to be here. I was... Very excited to see your Rondo in person here in the in the House of Hatton, as I go. as I call Castle Cook. <laughs> and uh, I'll suggest again, you need to put a bright light behind that trophy so that it casts a Rondo-sized shadow on the wall. And then you can move the trophy around and make it look like he's actually here and alive. Maybe move the light behind him. Yeah, like exactly. he's walking around. Yeah, yeah good. Like, uh, creeping, there as it were. Yeah, creeping there around. There we, yeah. there we go. I'll put it on YouTube. And a very well-deserved award, let me say, too. Uh, um, go, uh, go on. This is the only... <laughs> okay. This is the only podcast that I appear on, and I do do it pretty regularly, and there's a reason. As I was saying to you earlier, you know, some of these podcasts are basically the Chris Farley show. You know that, that part where the monster killed the guy? That was awesome. But not here. MKR wins the award, and deservedly so, because uh, you do something much more important. There's historical context. There's scholarship. There's a certain level of analysis and critique here that you're not going to find on the other podcasts. And that's why you have not just fan uh, involvement, but film scholarship involvement, too. I appreciate that, man. Really, I do appreciate it. And I would not have won the award without the support of all the people who have been on the show. The show is made richer by the variety and diversity of guests that we've had on and, and the knowledge that they bring. Like, anytime we talk about Lon Chaney, I think, I got to get Paul. I got to talk to Paul because he's such a Lon Chaney fan. I've learned so much about the man from you. So thank Thanks. you for making Thanks. Monster Kid Radio better. And th- Thank you. And that would be Junior. Yeah. I, I well, never, of course, of never course. claimed to be a, uh, an expert on Senior, but uh, Junior... For sure. I founded the uh, Lon Chaney Jr. fan club as uh, an 11 or 12-year-old. <laughs> I put out 24 issues of Lonnie Jr. Uh, <laughs> wrote and illustrated them myself. That was uh, back in 73, 74, 75, something like that. Now I have some copies of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, yeah, and that Chaney Jr. serves as a segue here, doesn't he? That's right. That's why I bring him up, because we're going to talk about the Inner Sanctum films from, what did it say, 43 to 45? That's it. Six movies in basically two, two and a half years, from mid-43 to late 45, Mm -hmm. something like that. This is post-Wolfman Lon Chaney Jr. Right. And contemporary to The Houses, House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. Also contemporary to The Mummy movies. Mm-hmm. He had a much better time making these than The Mummy movies. Yeah. Chaney wanted to be a leading man. Sure. And this was his chance. In these six movies, he didn't wear any uh, horror makeup or run around on the balls of his feet. <laughs> <laughs> he wore uh, a little, uh, more than a pencil mustache, I guess like a magic marker. Or, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit more than a pencil. And... You know, the the popular take on this is that Lon was woefully miscast in mm-hmm. in some or all of these films because he's very American. He was born and raised in Oklahoma. He doesn't really have an Okie accent, but the, his way of speaking is not particularly high-toned. He, he sounds like a, pretty much a regular guy, mm-hmm. and it looks and acquits himself like a regular guy. So, in a movie like... Uh, Weird Woman, where he's playing um, a college professor of sociology and ethnology. That's the the typical uh, crack is that he's he's in over his head. He's completely implausible as a professor in the social sciences, etc. 
I think that's not only a really lazy critique, because it's just sort of parroting the things that we're taught to think, uh, I think it's inaccurate and actually kind of insulting. It's this notion that someone who presents as uh, not necessarily elite or uh, well-born couldn't possibly rise to the level of a sociology professor. What do you want them to come across as just stereotypical, that the professor must have glasses down on the, on the tip of his nose and ideally an mm-hmm. English accent? You know, it's crazy. And, and I would say the same thing for the other characters that he plays. Um, a neurologist in Calling Dr. Death, an artist in Dead Man's Eyes. He's kind of an entertainer, a, a spiritualist in The Frozen Ghost. He's a biochemist in Strange Confession and a lawyer in Pillar of Death. And I find him plausible in all of those roles. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think that it is easy to dismiss his acting as kind of one note, but I, I don't think that's fair like you said it's not really fair to him and just in general yeah you know these are these are stereotypes that i i'm not comfortable with and i think he really kind of showed that these characters can be more than like you said the the, the glasses on the nose yeah. we were out to dinner last night and we were talking with Stephen d sullivan on the phone and you mentioned what do you want russell johnson yeah I mean, right if it's a professor it's got to be well that kind of typecasting right. does not represent what we see in the world what it represents is what we see in hollywood That's and true. so it becomes a self-fulfilling formula mm-hmm. well, go get me a professor type well for once they didn't do that they got right. cheney right. and so what we're seeing isn't your typical hollywood professor of sociology but Damned if I couldn't go out there and find you a whole bunch of professors sure. of sociology who are tall Americans with American accents mm-hmm. and, and that you wouldn't necessarily suspect of being uh, a professor uh, when, when you met them. Sure. So, accidentally, I think, they ended up uh, achieving a stroke of realism yeah. with the casting of Cheney in these different roles. And he was, I think, happy to be in leading man roles, even if it was for a, a very low-budget B-film series that Universal was doing, essentially using existing sets, sets that they had erected for other films, sure. which gave these a better look than some of the cheapies being cranked mm-hmm. out by RKO and later PRC. They all start with that wonderful Universal logo and theme, right? Shall we do it, Derek? Yeah. Oh, man. Now, that is quintessential monster movie music to me. You know, I grew up loving Star Wars as a kid of my generation. So you hear the 20th Century Fox drum roll and you're in the Star Wars mode. But these days, as a monster kid, I hear that and I'm like, okay, I'm going to see Chaney. I'm going to see Lugosi. I'm going to see monsters. I'm going to see something. You see, Carradine can see Atwell going to be in for a good time. It's funny you mentioned Star Wars. There is a link between these films and Star Wars. Did you know that? <laughs> no. Wow. <laughs> Young actor named Phil Brown Okay. in Weird Woman plays the annoying boyfriend of the co-ed who is assigned and is thrilled to be assigned to work for Cheney's uh, sociology professor. And okay. Phil Brown, many years later, would play Uncle Owen. Really? In the first Star Wars That was film. him? That was he. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to make sure I put that in the show notes so that our SEO of this episode just <laughs> skyrockets with all the Star Wars All stuff. right. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> Uncle fantastic. Owen and Aunt Beru. I, I don't think Aunt Beru was in any of the uh, inner sanctum, but Uncle Owen was. That's awesome. Yeah. See, and this is why having Paul on the show makes the show that much better. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I didn't <laughs> even make it up either, so... <laughs> 
You mentioned Weird Woman. I mean, that's the best of the batch. I would say it and Calling Dr. Death. It's hard for me to pick one over the other, and maybe we should start with Calling, because it was the first in the series. Right, so there were six films. Mm -hmm. The title comes from the radio series that existed, what, in, I guess in the 40s as well, right? It started in the 30s. Okay. And these were mystery thrillers uh, that had a supernatural element and or an intense psychological element. Mm -hmm. I would have to assume that the popularity in American intellectual circles and beyond that in the public at large, the popularity of Freudian theory Mm -hmm. in the early 40s, which you see impacting films like Spencer Tracy's version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. Uh, There seems to be a real link, I think, between that and the inner sanctum films as well, particularly if we take our cue from uh, the talking talking floating head in a crystal ball that introduces the first five of these movies and strangely not the last one this is the inner sanctum well no why don't you just add that yeah (laughs) Derek will put it in oh yeah this is the inner sanctum the strange fantastic world controlled by a mass of living pulsating flesh the mind. It destroys, distorts, creates monsters, commits murder. Yes, even you, without knowing, can commit murder. Yes, even you, Derek, without knowing, can commit Murder. <laughs> I love the floating. I want that fishbowl head. It's like a prop that I can oh, put on my desk. Oh, would be awesome to like have a, a life-size one? Yes. Yeah. Or even a small snow globe version would be good. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we oh, should wow. get on the line with the Universal Peeper. I, I do own the Talbot Cane. One of well, like, true. 400 of those that they put out, because how could I not? I was president yeah. and founder of the Lon Chaney Junior Fan Club. And when a man needs a cane, man needs a cane. <laughs> yes, you know? and I've needed a cane of late. So, uh, yeah, this would be a great product. We've been talking about who played that guy. I have no idea. I don't know if any listeners out there know who yeah. played this guy. Yeah. I love his voice. Yeah. You really can't see his face too well because it's a little distorted in the fishbowl effect. But what a great voice and a great opening to these films. As a teen filmmaker, I, I was inspired by that guy oh, yeah? to shoot some interiors in a uh, spaceship uh, scene through a milk bottle. And it achieved <laughs> a similarly uh, disturbing effect. From what we can see, he looks to me like a young Peter Cushing, but that's clearly not Peter Cushing's no, voice. No, it wouldn't be, no, but... Um, hmm. He also looks a little like one of the Doctor Whos. I can't remember which one, because I'm not really a... Yeah, as, yeah. as established on a pre- previous episode, I haven't watched any Who, so I have okay. no idea. <laughs> but it's a great opening. Oh, it's, it's great. It, Only five out of the six of them have the opening. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why it was dropped for the sixth. You know, I mentioned the, the Spencer Tracy, Dr. Jekyll, and you seemed interested in that. We should do a program on... Jekylls and Hydes, because I am a sure. Jek- Jekyll and Hyde scholar. Uh, I think that that one and the Frederick March are the two best by far. Sure. The dream sequence uh, that Jekyll experiences while first transforming into Hyde, in which mm-hmm. he's driving these horses with a whip, and then one turns into Lana Turner, the other into Ingrid Bergman, essentially naked. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Freud, paging Dr. Freud. Yeah, isn't there also a cork that pops out of a champagne bottle and some other classic Freudian imagery yeah. in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you see it in the inner sanctum, too. 
I'm kind of a Freud defender. When I teach uh, Campbell's Hero's Journey, I start with Freud, because from Freud comes Jung, and from Jung comes Campbell. Okay. And I think Freud gets sort of a bumps rush these days, because he wasn't perfect. But if he had done nothing but the three main things that he achieved in, in the formulating of a new science, essentially, no small task, positing the conscious and the unconscious minds and defining them and their processes quite well, which had never really been done before, the coping mechanisms that he cataloged and described from projection to transference to repression and suppression and so forth, and the notion of uh, id ego, super ego, uh, as a way to look at the mind uh, the mind that can, can commit murder. <laughs> Even you, Paul. Even you, Derek, and I'm looking across the room. Even you, Brenda. Can you commit murder. Even you <laughs> can commit murder. But not till we're done taping this episode. Yeah, that's wait. Let's wait. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Freud is in the background of these films. Very much so. I find that interesting historically. Mm-hmm. As as a way of looking back at uh, what the culture was and what the, what our society was at a time before, neither you nor even I <laughs> were yet born, young man. Yeah, oh, well. calling Doctor Death. Cheney plays a neurologist and hypnotist. He incorporates hypnotism into his neurology practice, and uh, it's a wonderful little proto film noir. Uh, 1943, we're not quite into the noir era, but you can see elements of it here. This is one of three, the first three, were all directed by Reginald LeBorg, Mm -hmm. uh, a fine director, not quite in the Jacques Tourneur or Edgar Ulmer camp, but I'd say one notch below. Sure. Yeah. And we've talked about some of his films on previous episodes here, the Mummy movie. Uh, Mummy's Ghost, yeah. Yeah, he did one of those films, and he's done more than just genre films, but... Oh, he's definitely part of the Monster Kid Radio Absolutely. You know, wheelhouse. Voodoo Island, Black mm-hmm. Sleep, um, Diary of a Madman, even as recently, I guess you could say, as the early 60s. Yeah. Um, and and uh, with him at the helm, I think it w- that was smart because it got the series off to a strong start. Definitely. Yeah. And, and Calling Dr. Death is a strong start. There's a wonderful use of subjective camera leading up to the moment where Cheney and J. Carroll Nash's police inspector first meet. Their yeah. chemistry is is great as always. Oh, they're fantastic in this and then in the later film as well that they're in together. It's that, a wonderful kind of back and forth. I, I don't want to say cat and mouse, but there is that kind of adversarial oh, kind of. It is cat and mouse. There's a yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, they even had an interesting chemistry in House of Frankenstein because Cheney's character Talbot was so uh, tortured and self involved. But Daniel was uh, envious as as could be, and so there was all this energy coming from Nash toward yeah. Cheney, but but Cheney was having none of it. He didn't even notice. So every time you've got the two of them together, there's going to be some interesting interaction and very different acting styles that somehow blend together nicely. They do. Yeah. Another great uh, part of, of calling Dr. Death is um, <laughs> when, spoiler alert, <laughs> Cheney's nurse and love interest uh, is under hypnosis, and uh, we finally find out what actually happened. Uh, she is feeling somewhat guilty, apparently, about having framed someone for murder, and we have a shot of the accused. A character named Robert Duvall, oddly enough, <laughs> and not played by a young Robert Duvall. Was he active at the time? I don't know <laughs> I if he was he around was at the time. Just maybe not quite active. Yeah, he is probably right before he started acting. But uh, this character, Robert Duvall, who's been accused and convicted and sentenced, and uh, you see the chaplain walking ahead as the two guards escort him towards uh, the electric chair. 
And as he gets nearer to the camera, Duval drops out of frame, and the guards bend over and bring up not Duval, but our nurse mm-hmm. in prison fatigues. It's a great moment. Oh, a it's shocking moment. Exactly. Yeah. Especially, I'm thinking about the time period as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, too, uh, at one point in her dream, two cardboard buildings, essentially, yeah. <laughs> tip in toward her. Uh-huh. You could say that it's a laughable effect, but if you just look at it in context and think about what they had to work with, I find it really, really a, a lovely moment of trying to show how trapped she feels, uh, that yeah. the very world is tipping um, around her in all directions, and the fact that it doesn't look hyper-realistic actually kind of works for a dream. Yeah, I mean, if it, was, if it wasn't a dream sequence, then maybe we'd be having a different comment about it. <laughs> That's but, right. But as part of the dream, it definitely yeah. gives that, everything's kind of closing in, mm-hmm. and it's just a little askew. There's this weird kind of dream geographic logic going on that I really like. Yeah, yeah, me too. That subjective camera where he, leading up to meeting Nash's inspector, is a little reminiscent of what Ruben Mamoulian did at the beginning of the 31 Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, the first real in its, in its entirety filmed from Jekyll's point of view until Frederick March finally steps in front of a cabinet to adjust <laughs> his tie and we realize, oh, we are now looking into our mirror mm-hmm. as Dr. Jekyll. I always assumed that this was shot this way in order to suggest to the viewer right off the bat that this is not just the story of some doctor. It is, in fact, your story and mine. Any one of us could have hide inside. In Calling Dr. Death, it certainly encourages our our um, relating to Cheney's uh, neurologist character. He is the point of view character, and this makes that very clear. We're walking towards the cabin where he knows he's going to find the corpse of his wife. Of course, he's accused. Mm-hmm. And we see various people walking up and looking into the camera, a journalist trying to get a quote, I believe a camera flashbulb at one point, and finally gets to the door, it opens on its own seemingly, and then there's Nash, mm-hmm. who, though a man of, of shorter stature, is presented in an extremely menacing way, both here and later in the film series, in Strange Confessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a terrific, terrific little proto-noir. Uh, what they do in 63 minutes there, I've seen you know lesser films uh, attempt and, and not achieve with one and a half or two times the running time. And that's something about all of these movies. They're short. They're just over an hour, and they pack so much into them. Even some of the ones that we consider maybe lesser, uh, I don't want to say efforts, but maybe not as impactful. There's still a lot going on in these short run times. Right. If, even if you do stumble on the frozen ghost or pillow of death, you know, <laughs> you're not going to get your money's worth, um, even if you see them for free. But at least you've Whoa. only spent 64 <laughs> minutes, right. you know, in the process. These are short stories. Yeah. You know, that, that's really what's happening here. A, a feature film these days is often two hours plus. Right. Um, and... Honestly, these films are about the length of the closing credits on, on, <laughs> on today's films. Uh, now, I, I really admire the tourist economical, concise way in which uh, first Leborg and then the other directors associated with this series uh, worked. And, you know, Cheney gets his moment as a leading man. Mm-hmm. But, you know, bless him. He, he deserved it. He, he deserved did. to be able to act out, out of the makeup. And I think he does a, a fine job throughout the series. And particularly, others have said this too, Leborg seems to have known how to direct Cheney in a way that uh, used him at his full potential. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you. I think again, as monster kids, we always go to the Wolfman. Yeah, you know, we go to maybe Son of Dracula or the Mummy films, but and beyond that, to to of Mice and Men and High Noon. Yeah, I was going to say the there character you go. parts. Yeah. Don't forget of Mice and Men. Right. Don't forget High Noon. Yeah. This man was a skilled mm-hmm. actor. He was a master of his craft. Yeah. Sometimes I think the fact that he was a kind of a big lug of an American guy, yeah, you know, is used against him. And what do you have to have an English accent to be a serious actor? I mean, no. I, I love some of those actors too, but uh, you know, vive la différence and and let these people stretch. Cheney never really attempted an accent. Fine, he knew he knew his limitations. True, he worked within them. We have talked previously about some of the positives that we see in his Dracula, mm-hmm. you know, as a transitional Dracula. Underrated film. Yeah, underrated film and uh, underrated performance, uh, mm-hmm. I think, as well. So, enough on calling Dr. Death, you think? I think so. I mean, apparently it did well enough for them to continue the series. I'm assuming they probably had a lot of these in productions, one right after the other anyway. Yeah, they were cranking them out, and in between, Chaney would have to get into his mummy wear, right. which he hated. <laughs> Or, or or play Talbot again, which he loved. Right. Yeah, he called it he called uh, Talbot and the Wolfman his baby, and, and that certainly was the case. No one else ever played those roles. That's true. That's yeah. true. So, Derek, you and I were talking uh, about... <laughs> I, I pointed out to you that, well, at least by my lights, uh, the first, third, and fifth inner sanctums are the best, and the second, fourth, and sixth are kind of uh-huh. weak. Yeah, and Derek said. Well, that's kind of like the <laughs> the reverse Star Trek movie. Reverse, theory. Although we've just decided that we don't necessarily agree with that on Agreed, the Star Trek. Yeah, we both like Search for Spock a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, it kind of holds true. One, three, and five. Oddly enough, the odd numbered <laughs> installments somehow that's appropriate. That's appropriate. <laughs> yes, are oddly good. And if they'd done thirteen episodes, oh man, that thirteenth oh, wow. would have been killer. Man. So episode two, Dead Man's Eyes. Just not a very good movie. It's LeBorg again, but I, I just watched all of these again. Uh, it took me six hours. And uh, <laughs> Dead Man's Eyes is not nearly as moody and atmospheric as uh, Calling Dr. Death or Weird Woman, which came next. Right. It's shot in a fairly flat, uninteresting, uncinematic way. It's got a terrible performance in it by Aquanetta, but maybe that's a... A redundancy. I was going to ask you about. I didn't think you were a fan of Aquanetta. Not particularly. I mean, she. I don't think she's as bad as 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 people have suggested. But both she and Ramsey Ames, frankly, uh, who shows up in uh, in Calling Doctor Death, are just not not good actors. And they were contract players, and I think they were probably hired for their looks. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that in a sexist way. I'm just saying that that's the sexist way in which Hollywood operated sure. at that time. Uh, there were plenty of great actresses out there, and and. Uh, you know, they didn't get the contract that Ames and Aquanetta did. I like Aquanetta okay for what she does, but I agree. She does kind of weigh the movie down a little bit. Yeah. At the very beginning of this, he said that Cheney wasn't wearing any makeup at all. There's a little bit of makeup in this one. That's true. A little bit with the eye damage. Yeah. After which, he accidentally damages his eyes, there is a little bit of makeup around the eyes. It's subtle, though. It's yeah. not over the top. It's not uh, the mummy makeup. It's not a wolfman makeup. It's, it's subtle. Yeah. I'm not sure who did the makeup. Yeah, I didn't see Pierce in the credits. He was probably on a, a set, you know, two warehouses away, mm-hmm. um, making up someone for, for one of the more typical monster films as opposed to these psychological thrillers that mm-hmm. didn't require him to me the most interesting thing about dead man's eyes is actually in the script and in the in the premise of the thing this notion of cheney's playing a, an artist a painter who is accused of murdering a man who has bequeathed his eyes to cheney's character uh, <laughs> upon his death and uh there's a kind of a medical ethics question for us all <laughs> to ponder and uh, in fact cheney's uh, 
fiance character. Jean Parker? No, that sounds right. She has to sign the form. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she finally manages to. But, you know, we don't know as audience members really whether whether he's the killer or not. Same thing in Calling Dr. Death. In Weird Woman, we don't know if his wife is the is um, a witch wife, as Anchor's character <laughs> suggests. She's a witch wife. That little wife of his, she's a witch wife. But I'm jumping the gun. Uh, <laughs> this was kind of the, the one of the calling cards of the series was is, is usually as Cheney. Right. Is is he a murderer here? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they keep you guessing for most of the movie. And, and then almost always the answer is no. Or in one case, yeah, but it's justified. Right. So Dead Man's Eyes, the same thing. And no, he's, spoiler alert, he's not the murderer. But uh, he could well be uh, for most of the running time. I just, I'll watch this movie. I, I don't think it's as bad as um, Frozen Ghost or Pillow of Death. It's mid-level or even mediocre inner sanctum. Yeah. Fortunately, however, right around the corner was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Weird Woman. Th- this one's my favorite. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like some of the other ones, but Weird Woman for me, it's got every, it's got Chaney and Anchors together. And this is the first time Anchors was in one of these films. Did she yeah. do any of the... Well, I guess she was in the other one, too. Yeah, she was in Frozen Ghost, but you know, we'll get to the problem there. Uh, yeah, she <laughs> <laughs> she's playing a villain in Weird Woman. Right? You don't know that right away. And one thing I like about the movie is that the title initially a- appears to refer to... Uh, to Cheney's bride, mm-hmm. uh, who may be a witch wife, and <laughs> is played by um, Anne Gwynn. Right, who was one of Anchor's dear friends in real life. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, here she's a predator, and uh, Anchor's is trying to take Anne Gwynn down, and very famously, uh, supposedly, she, she didn't particularly like playing those scenes where she was being hard on Anne Gwynn's character, and that sometimes they would break into laughter at the end of a take because they were such good friends. And we, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Anchors on the show earlier this year, about her relationship with Chaney, her relationship with Gwen, a little bit about this movie. I'm a big fan of Evelyn Anchors. Mm-hmm. I really adore Absolutely. her in almost everything I've seen her yep. in. And She's the best actress in that type of film. Agreed. In that entire era. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, prefer her to the um, the horror actresses of, of the 30s and 50s. And 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts, and 18s as well. She, I guess she, I'm saying she's my favorite uh, genre film uh, actress and certainly my favorite monster film actress. You know, I, I put Julie Adams up there pretty high. But, I know but you But she's do. the 50s. So, she's you great. know, how about we give the 50s to Julie Adams <laughs> and the 40s to Evelyn Anchors? Sure, why not? Although only- Elizabeth Russell would be uh, not too far behind and well, she's in here too. That's true. That's true. Uh, she often has smallish parts, and she does a lot with them. She did a lot with one short scene in the original Cat People, and she's terrific in Weird Woman. Mm-hmm. As has been said, she ha- she looks like a cat. She's the woman with the face like mm-hmm. a cat. And the interactions... Yeah, there are a lot of actresses in this movie. Good parts for women in this movie, from anchors to Gwen to to Russell to um, the very young actress who plays the uh, co-ed who's who's so enamored of Chaney I'm not remembering her name right is that now. Margaret the character of Margaret yeah so I've been Lois Collier yeah that's right Lois Collier and in fact this is kind of interesting and and arguably kind of proto-feminist in order to take down anchors character uh, an alliance must be formed between Gwyn's character and Collier's character and Russell's character and Cheney's character. And so the three women who have had issues with Cheney's character in different ways 
throughout the course of the movie have to get over it and work with him <laughs> yep. and he with them, despite what they've done to him in different ways. A false accusation in the case of Collier's character, um, really hateful behavior on the on the part of, of Russell's, and yet they they do they're able to see the light of day together and and effect uh, a a fitting revenge together. It's a great film. I really adore this movie. This is not just my favorite Inner Sanctum movie, but it's one of my favorite Lon Chaney films. Period. Yeah. yeah. And this is the one, as we said, where he's playing a sociology and ethnology professor, and the easy criticism is that he's, you know, he's very far from that. And what we're really saying when we say that is we're bigots who think that yeah. an intellectual uh, has to present as effete and elite. Right, right. And, I, and I don't see that at all with this. I mean, I think Janie's performance of this is believable. Yeah. Sure. And and if we are going to you know look at the stereotypes and and see somebody built like him, can he be a reference? Well, you know he's the kind of guy that goes into the jungle and has these experiences together, and, and he does that in this movie. Yeah, you know you've got to be a little bit more rough and tumble That's than right. the the guy with the skinny guy with the glasses, and you know this character is the original indie Jones. I was looking for an Indiana yeah. Jones connection. You know, <laughs> try to stretch there a little bit. Well, there's that great flashback scene where yes, he he we see him in the field where he first meets uh, his his which wife bride and, uh, <laughs> wife? and essentially I've, sh- I've shown this when I've, I've done a presentation at Capricorn on um, voodoo films and what we call faux voodoo or faux do films I love that phrase <laughs> I love it thank you which are about voodoo like fictitious situations mm-hmm. but it looks like it's Hawaii, or more to the point, it looks like a universal backlot version of Hawaii, and the the photo ceremony looks like a luau, and uh, yet it's effective because of the minor key music that is being created, and some of the chanting, and some of the dancing, and the fact that they appear through their gyrations to make a shooting star happen. And then uh, a line is drawn, and uh, Cheney is told, as we're always seeing the American characters told, whether it's Cult of the Cobra, you cannot cross this line. And in his ebullience at meeting this young woman that he remembers from years before, um, he, he crosses the line, mm-hmm. and then his life is at risk. So the way it's structured, the film is structured in an interesting way. It starts in the now, and pretty soon we're going with Cheney back in his mind to how this all came to be. Mm-hmm. And by... Sometime before the midpoint of the film, we're back to the now and then seeing the consequences of it. The first three films, the LeBorg films, and particularly Weird Woman, I think, more than any of the others, one hallmark is a, a lot of hushed narration by Janie whispering. And uh, I find those very effective scenes. Sure. He's walking around, he's looking at things that remind him of why he's haunted or tormented in this particular film, and we're hearing him speak. I assume that on set, either he had pre-recorded that, and they were playing it back for him to react to, or someone was reading those lines off of a script for him to react to. Because he does more than just walk through the scene. You know, he his body moves in relation to what he's saying. Yeah, and his facial expressions and as it's well. very good. That's and, right. You know, it kind of reminded me of his father a little bit. Mm-hmm. His silent acting. Exactly. Except that it's kind of having your, having your cake and eat it too because we're also getting some vocal delivery. Exactly. Which I, I think he does a great job on both sides of that. And you're being invited into the mind of the Cheney character <laughs> <laughs> because we're hearing his thoughts and uh, the intimacy too of, of seeing him alone with mm-hmm. his thoughts. 
Uh, and it, again, it, it encourages association with the character that he happens to be playing. And that's hard work, too. I mean, you're acting, you're not reacting off of anybody. Mm-hmm. You are just, you know, pulling a Tom Hanks from Castaway. You are just being you. Yeah. That's not easy to do as an actor, I would think. I would think. And, and, you know, in a sense, it's like what I do with, with the movies, uh, the horror movies and sci-fi movies I shot, you know, in the seventies and then coming back, revisiting them, re-editing them, adding sound, shooting some new scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's self-collaboration. Yeah. You know, you have Cheney acting opposite his voice mm-hmm. or delivering lines opposite his, his physical movements and facial expressions, however you want to look at it. And those, those remain in part because of the, the Salter music. Oh, yes. Uh, that, that accompanies them. Mm-hmm. And we recognize themes out of Ghost of Frankenstein sure. and, and other things. Put it all together with some nice, uh, Reginald LeBorg shadowed lighting. There's a lot of good shadow work yeah. in this. And, and, uh, these are atmospheric. The, the ones that work. Uh, well, certainly, uh, I would say in this order, Weird Woman Calling Dr. Death, they are extremely atmospheric mm-hmm. uh, with some noir elements. And uh, Strange Confessions, we'll get to, it's a good movie, uh, but it's not really a thriller. So, anyway, True. Th- things that make Weird Woman particularly nice are, for instance, the um, the montage toward the end when Anchors' character is terrified. Mm-hmm. Of the curse that that she believes has been placed on her and by the witch wife. The witch wife. That's right. The witch wife. Yeah, you're into it now too. Yeah, the witch wife. That's her little witch. It's 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 his little witch wife. That's who. His his little wife is a witch wife. I believe that's the line. So she's been told she has 13 days to live, and um, everything under the sun is reminding her from radio commercial. Only eight more days left to get your own. Blah blah blah. Theater theater poster says. Uh, oh, the movie is called The Lady Lies. Yes, yeah. yes. And it is this last seven days, six skeins of yarn, five <laughs> golden rings, four calling birds, birds, three, three French, French, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. something like that. And, you know, we were joking before about earlier than that when Anne Gwynn is the one who's freaking out. The phone rings and on the other end it's, <laughs> that, that the chant music from the, the flashback. And it's like, what, she's going to open a greeting card and hear that? Um, she, she, I want one. I want that, though. <laughs> I want that to be real. I want one. Uses the can opener and that comes, <laughs> I don't know, instead of snakes. So, yeah, there's a lot of great. Oh, and the, uh, spoiler alert, Anchor's character's death at the end. Yes. And the use of a, a very nice shadow shot there. Mm-hmm. They went to some pretty scary, iffy places occasionally in these movies. The shadow scene in Calling Dr. Death where acid is thrown by one woman onto another's face. Yeah. Uh, and then the shadow shot at the end of Weird Woman of Anchors accidentally hanging herself. And y- you could say, well, all they could show was a shadow in those days. And I would say, thank God. That's all they needed. That's all they needed. That's all they needed. It's so much more effective. This Mm -hmm. is the Jokternerd school of filmmaking, where Mm -hmm. shadow and implication and insinuation Mm -hmm. is so much more effective than, you know, whatever the the latest prosthetic slash CGI gore effect. Right. Well, we we just watched Strange Confession, and if you had seen what was in the bag, right, you would lose so much. (laughs) Insert extreme close up, J. Carol Nash with eyes closed. No. No, we, 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 part of us wants that money shot, but maybe another part of us says it's radio theater. 
It really is. Leave it to the viewer and, and maybe to imagine. Some of that held over from yeah, I its, think so. Its radio source. I think so. I mean, Universal would show some decapitated heads and such. I think uh, the thing that couldn't die. There's mm-hmm. a de- decapitated head. Oh yeah, and that's uh, early fifties. Yeah, uh, late 40s? later fifties. I think thing that wouldn't die. I'd say mid fifties. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, they would show some of these things later on. Yeah. You didn't need it for didn't this. Need it. Didn't need it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes less is more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why a movie like I Walked with a Zombie, which we've done a couple segments on, uh, on Monster Kid Radio. Fantastic film. It's my second favorite film after High Noon. And uh, it, it's, all, it's all classic Turner mm-hmm. um, insinuation through Shadow. Yeah. So Weird Woman was definitely a high point, And I, I know it's your favorite. It was mine for a while, too, until I taught calling Dr. Death in a film studies course and watching it additional times brought new insights. Okay. Um, I've not taught Weird Woman. If I did, maybe it would it would rise to that level, but they are clearly the, the two best of the series. So the series reaches its midpoint with the release of the fairly well-received Weird, Weird Woman, mm-hmm. critically at the time, and in retrospect, most Inner Sanctum fans today point to it and, and calling Dr. Death, as we do. Sure. As high watermarks. They're, they're solid, solid works. Unfortunately, the, the back half, uh, I, I, they're just, I mean, they, they've got their moments. Yeah, they do. And The Frozen Ghost starts quite well. Oh, The Frozen Ghost starts great. And it's another anchor's mm-hmm. appearance, her and Chaney together. They're of. always good together. <laughs> as, you know, as, as poorly as they got along in real life. It's interesting. Maybe that and mutual antipathy fueled their performances in a way because they always had great chemistry on screen. They really did. From the Wolfman on. Yeah. Um, and we start with this wonderful scene where she, she actually is the one with the, the supposed psychic powers. Uh, Mora, the character she plays, mm-hmm. and she's the one on the poster outside the theater. And, uh, Cheney plays the, the hypnotist, the mentalist who, who uses her as a medium to predict and prognosticate. Prognosticate? Is that, yeah. See the future? Uh, not procrastinate. Prognosticate. <laughs> <laughs> and that first scene is full of these nice Dutch angles, too. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. The camera work in The Frozen Ghost elevates that movie a little bit more than it probably deserved yeah. in some spots. Yeah. I was also quite taken that they just read off some dude's social security number. No big deal. I, I don't, I'm assuming it's a fake social, but... One assumes. Yeah. <laughs> I love the moment where it's a two-shot of Cheney standing next to his assistant, and, and he's getting so frustrated with this drunken man that he's brought up out of the audience, and mm-hmm. he just sort of through clenched teeth says, Idiot! I could kill him. I could kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of sharing that moment with Anchor's character, and she's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and the guy dies. Now, we were talking about this off camera, off mic, rather, too, Derek. You've got the, the this actor and this actress who work together so well mm-hmm. in these genre films, and you throw in this great opening where a hypnotism goes terribly wrong and, and a man dies. What what do you want to do next? I think you want to get these this actor and this actress <laughs> apart from each other for most of the rest of the movie, oh, man. and send Cheney's character to um, a house with a wax museum attached <laughs> that has nothing to do with the scene we've just enjoyed. I don't like the use of a wax museum in a horror movie simply as atmospheric backdrop. There's and that's essentially so much what happens. More here. you should it should be like required. It should yeah. be a rule. Wax Museum in a horror movie, you must have this, this, and this happen. It's pretty 
safe. Yeah. There's really not much going on here. And you could have been really creepy and really menacing. You've got the guy with the accent. You know, yeah. Oh, uh, Martin Kosliff. He's right. always good. Yeah. Right. You've got him. He's a menacing figure. He played Goebbels. Well, or, yeah, like, how many time times? Yeah. Like five or six times on right. film and right. stage. The guy is capable of oozing evil. And here he's just like this annoying nitwit. Who works at this wax museum that isn't that scary? <laughs> Rudy. Rudy. Yes, yes. Rudy. <laughs> um, it's and unfortunate. Elena Verda goes in there. She's mm-hmm. always a, a pleasure to watch and um, has her own nice chemistry with Cheney. It's kind of interesting. This film was made um, basically right uh, right after House of Frankenstein. And uh, in that one, Cheney and Vertigo are love interests, even though she's significantly younger. And here, that becomes kind of the reason that... Very clear. Yeah, very clear that this would be inappropriate. So, okay. Well, she's playing younger in The Frozen Ghost, and plus she's not a dancing gypsy, which uh, in House of Frankenstein matures and sophisticates her to a level that makes it appropriate, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, this was before kind of Roma awareness and rights uh, kicked in. There we go. Yeah. Frozen Ghost. There is no ghost in it. No. There is certainly no frozen ghost in it. Was it because the room was cold (laughs) where they keep the wax statues? That's right. The wax museum was cold. And I guess ghost is because um, two of the female characters, uh, one of whom survives it and the other of whom does not, is placed in suspended animation. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. Frozen Ghost. Yeah, I think that's about enough on that movie. I, I do like the chemistry again. I just want to reiterate. Mm-hmm. I do love the scenes between her, uh, Cheney and Anchors. I think the chemistry in this film, it's palpable. It's thicker than in most anything else I've seen them in, t- in together. Yeah. The way she's touching his arm, mm-hmm. the way he takes care of her. I really enjoy yeah. that. No, you're right. You're right. Man, I just missed it so much through <laughs> the movie. Watching them uh, together... Cheney was a big guy. Anchors was no waif. Right. And so they're well cast opposite each other as a romantic couple. Uh, in her heels, she's not that much shorter. So they're almost eye to eye in, in those scenes. He, yeah, as you say, he tries to protect her. And it, because, of course, uh, as is generally the case in his roles, not just in this series of films, but throughout his career, since Lenny on, mm-hmm. it's all about being tortured and engendering audience sympathy. Mm-hmm. I can't think of an actor in the history of Hollywood who consistently did that as well as Lon Chaney mm-hmm. Jr. The Wolfman, you you sympathized with, perhaps empathized in certain ways. You can look at lycanthropy as a metaphor for any number of things. Sure. In the same way that um, Interview with a Vampire used vampirism as a, an analogy for, for queerness, in the same way that the X-Men films uh, arguably do the same um and and so anyone who has been afflicted by a curse and i'm going to put that word in quotation marks yeah we're, i'm going to do the air quotes yeah, here thank because you. the listeners can see that but curse <laughs> yeah it could be bipolar disorder you know and i'm not trying to be funny here but the werewolf mythos and the jekyll and hyde one too i think both could be hyperbolic mm-hmm. extrapolations of of someone who alternates between mood states. Mm-hmm. I, I felt sorry for Talbot and some of these other Cheney characters, including the ones in the Inner Sanctum films, as a kid. I think that I feel it even more acutely as an adult who's been through more. Maybe it's a change from sympathy to empathy. You know, from I feel sorry for this character to I understand this character and uh, have to some extent been 
where he is. And so, uh, anyway, getting no, back to the intersection. No, I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I've talked a little bit about some of the things that I've been through. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I can see that. It goes from sympathy to empathy. That's a great way to put it. And any actor or film or film series that focuses on the engendering of empathy mm-hmm. is fine by me. Sure. I guess I'm arguing myself into saying that the Wolfman's, Wolfman films perform a public service <laughs> and make our society a little better. There we go. There <laughs> each, we go. If nothing else, that's, that's, that's the takeaway. That's right. So, from the frozen ghost to strange confession. We just rewatched this. We watched yeah, it together just now. We, we did. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, I was, I was a little cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time around... Rolling this, stay out of the wax museum. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do like this one. I think even though it's not Weird Woman, it's not Calling Dr. Death, it's not mm-hmm. LeBorg. Right. I still think there are some interesting things happening here. And For sure. I do like Cheney's performance. I mm-hmm. Milburn Stone yes. is in this one as well. And I like him mm-hmm. as kind of a, a baddie. He was a baddie in Frozen Ghost as well. Yeah. I like him in the in the role. And Lloyd Bridges? <laughs> Young Lloyd Bridges. Wow. The full head of blonde hair and a twinkle in his eye and a Yes. Yeah. And a quick line. He's a hail fellow well met twice while Cheney's character, a chemist, a biochemical researcher, is looking into the microscope. Lloyd Bridges' character, his colleague, comes and slaps him on the back, and I keep waiting for, you know, dead man's eyes reprise. <laughs> oh, what did you do? My eyes. <laughs> Think about Strange Confession is it was not part of the UHF packet. Yes, uh, this one's got an interesting sort of involvement with the inner sanctum films. none of us saw it as monster kits you couldn't have you couldn't have it was for legal reasons having to do i think with a, a, a claude rains movie that had preceded it by not that many years wasn't it called the man who lost his head or something like that mm-hmm. it was not available for purchase into into sale to the tv stations in the 50s when these other universal films went out there so we monster kids at the time thought of inner sanctum as a five film series it was a real treat for me to, to first see this when the entire Inner Sanctum was put out on two DVDs. I'm trying to imagine having grown up with just the five yeah. Inner Sanctums and there's this sixth film. It's right. like a lost film. It is. It's like, yeah. Exactly. Like if they discovered a, a Wolfman film between. Right. between I'd, I'd settle for London after midnight. But yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. You know, there should be a Wolfman film in between uh, House of Dracula oh, and yeah. Abbott and Costello to explain how he gets the curse back. He really shouldn't have gotten the curse back. No, and he shouldn't I'm have. just going to pretend that Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein takes place well, we've talked about sometime this. before. Yeah, yeah. you got to swap the chronology. That's and right. Then you're okay. It's a prequel to <laughs> House of Dracula. Of course, I made my own film as a kid called Blood of the Wolfman. That I've seen it. Recured him. That's right. For once and for all. That's right. Um, Strange Confession, another thing that's interesting about it is that uh, it has a, a kind of a, a thriller opening and a thriller ending, but in between, it's essentially a, a drama, mm-hmm. a family drama, a, a corporate drama. Timeless Message is about corporate malfeasance, trumping ethics, and how wrong that is, and the price that people pay, and, and their kids pay, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, uh, very seldom that we see Lon Jr. in a parental role. In any of his characterizations. It didn't occur to me that that was the case until you mentioned it while we were watching it. And you're yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of another one. I know that in the Route 66 episode, we see him as a grandpa. 
I still the, need to see that. I, yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah, I, I should learn that too. In the first scene, walking in as the hunchback to wake up his little grandson, who, you know, isn't scared, loves it, because it's Lon Jr.'s grandson. But uh, I can't think of, an, of another role. Certainly, th- this tendency to be cast as loners, tormented. True. Can't start a family if you're the wolf man. Yeah, what are you thinking? You can't. You're lucky to get a love interest for part of the film. And he's aware of that in those movies, too. He's like, I can't get close to you. I'm going to change. I'll see the pentagram in your hand, and Mm -hmm. we're done. Which gets us again into that metaphorical Mm -hmm. area. You know, what would cause someone to say, I can't get close to you? Could be any number of things. Mm -hmm. Beyond the wolf man, often playing. Oh, you know, what I call the big dummy, which is to say uh, a lab assistant or um, someone who was experimented on as in the black sleep and the experiment went terribly wrong. Mm. And, and, and so these are sympathy engendering characters, tormented characters, none of whom is in any place uh, to go on Match.com and, <laughs> <laughs> and get bizet and, uh, <laughs> and start calling the preschools and <laughs> making a reservation. It's not going to happen. But we see him here as a loving, doting father. Yeah. And, you know, Derek and, and I and, and Derek's lovely wife, Brenda, were watching this film. And, and we had to hit pause at one point and start to talk about kind of gender roles in 1945. And to what extent the contemporary audience would have viewed Cheney's character, the uh, biochemist, or his uh, traditional mom housewife, she's presented as kind of a combination of loving and challenging yes. to him. She goes back and forth, and you mentioned shades of gray when we were having that Absolutely. conversation. There's a lot of gray yeah. in her character. I mean, she is happy being married to Lon. Yep. She, she's very happy, but they've got a kid. They've got a family. They want to give Tommy the opportunities the other children have. And That's you can't right. do that. On his limited salary. Right. Both of them are right. Yes. And, and even though they have opposing opinions, you, you can understand. And that's what makes it, I think, a pretty effective family drama, is that it's not caricatured. And uh, both characters, the, the husband and the wife, are, are relatable. Really, hell breaks loose when Cheney's character ultimately bows to the will of, of that part of the wife who wants them to have a better life. It's not her fault, and I don't no. think the movie is punishing her Absolutely for not. having been too pushy, because she's really not that pushy. She, mm-hmm. you know, she has her opinion, and she voices it from time to time, and, and there's a part of him that feels the same way, too. So, J. Carroll Nash comes back. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this time in a villainous role. He's an antagonist in Calling Dr. Death because he seems to believe that Cheney's character is guilty. Right. But he is a villain in Strange Confession, and he oh, yeah. underplays it beautifully. He's just sort of slimy and, and presumptuous uh, regarding uh, Cheney's wife. and, and his, <laughs> uh, he, he's, he's a creep. He's just a creep. And I was commenting on this when we were watching it. He takes a, a puff off the cigarette. And then as he's delivering his lines, he doesn't just exhale. He lets the smoke come out with every word. And you mentioned as if he was toxic. Yes, his words to her are toxic. As he's trying to get his employee's wife to have an affair with him, his words are toxic. <laughs> wow. He sends Cheney to Central America for weeks purportedly to research the local mold strains, uh, but really it's to get him out of his hair so that uh, Nash can put the moves on on the missus. That he was able to find the cure, the cure-all, 
totally accidental. Yeah. That was not the point. <laughs> that was not the point. And it, it, the cure-all is not even used by Nash at that point. He's like, yeah, 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 well, we're only in production, so let's go. And uh, we're not going to be explicit about these plot points, because if there's a movie that the listeners are less likely to have seen than the others, it's Strange Confession. I think so. It's worth it. It's the third best of the six, and unique in some of the ways that, that we've discussed. I have... A small quibble regarding okay. the story structure of the film. Okay. So, outside of the narration out of the fishbowl at the very beginning, yeah. the bulk of the movie is Jeffrey Carter as Cheney mm-hmm. confessing to the lawyer character. Mm-hmm. And during this confession, he's telling all these things that were happening between his wife and his boss right. that he wasn't present for. <laughs> so, to me, there's a little bit of a point of view violation yeah. here. Yeah. That said... What you have to do is one of two things to make that work and not be so annoying. One is to assume... No, that doesn't work either. I was going to (laughs) say, one is to assume that after, spoiler alert, chopping off J. Carol Nash's head and taking it in a bowling bag to to his uh, lawyer friend's apartment, that in between there somewhere, he sat down with his wife. And she and he said, "So what the hell's been going on?" And and she's staring at the bag and saying, "Well," <laughs> but that would not explain the behind-the-scenes corporate stuff that we've witnessed. Oh, that's a good point. That she's not yeah, present that's a good for. Point too. So what we have to do is this, Derek. We have to say he starts to tell his story to the lawyer, mm-hmm. and the narrative voice of the film augments. Jeffrey Carter's uh, telling of the tale with things that he's not aware of for the sake of us, the audience. Sure, and it has to do that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what movies do, and that's that's fine. It's just a little it's point. It's a poetic that, license. It's one of those things that I always get, get yeah. hung up on just a little bit. Well, I didn't notice that, but you're absolutely right. It's it's artistic license, and yeah. whether that license is valid or not is, is up to each viewer, I guess, to determine. For- that said, I don't think it takes anything away from the film. I would agree with yeah, you. Except that it now it spoils it for me. I can't oh, watch this movie great. anymore without Sorry. thinking about that. God so. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's solid. It is I think a solid it's a very film. solid film. Yeah. Oh, well, this brings us inevitably to <sighs> Pillow of Ennui. No, uh, Pillow of Death. <laughs> okay, so oh, having played uh, heretofore in this series, in order, a neurologist and hypnotist, a fine artist, a painter and uh, a professor of sociology and ethnology, and then a professional uh, mentalist on stage, and a biochemical researcher, he now plays that scariest of characters. (laughs) The attorney. (laughs) It's a really dreadful film. Six time around... If they don't even bother with the head in a bowl here. Right. I don't know what happened. I missed the head in the bowl. Yeah. That and made the movie so much better. Nor are there end credits. There's no end credits. Right. It just kind of Where's our cast? It? it just ends. They try to inject some humor in, some character-based humor about the kind of funny, eccentric characters that are hanging out at the Kincaid family mansion. Every time I try to watch this movie, I find myself checking email. that's there's a ringing endorsement put that on the on the poster (laughs) oh man no it's i mean you have some of these character-based moments of humor in something like strange confession with the drunks and the party for new year's it's brief it's brief it's small and that's it this becomes such a a sticking point in the story and it's filler 
<sighs> and also, Cheney's not on screen enough in this movie. He's not. Yeah. It's like he was off doing something else or he knew. <laughs> He's playing the mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw just a little bit of the mummy makeup on him in one of the shots in this film. <laughs> oh, and there's a typo in one of the newspaper headlines. You know, oh, is there any yeah, 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 clues? C L E W S. Are you serious? Yeah, check it out. So you're gonna make me have to watch. Again. <laughs> you have to watch Pillow of Death again now, but only the newspaper headline. Oh, okay. Uh, scenes. There are so <sighs> many scenes in this film in which I feel like the actors thought they were rehearsing, but the director <laughs> didn't tell them they were actually shooting. <laughs> there is a pacing issue. The lines are delivered, and there's this pause, this beat, where there doesn't need to be a beat, and then the act, the other actor they're playing against catches up with them, and it just feels awkward. You're right, and every time there's an opportunity for suspense, it's undercut Yes, uh, by something. I, uh, even Cheney's character walking alone at night through the graveyard. <laughs> it, where's the fog machine, you know? It was on the Mummies movie. <laughs> it was on the other else. side. Then buy some dry ice and get a thermos of water like I did and just yeah, exactly. pour it in the box, shake it up, and put it right in front of the camera. Something, something. <laughs> even a double exposure of a shot of some fog would be fine. Uh, when Cheney's character and his, his illicit lover are locked in a room and this other character says she's going to get a hose and put some gas under the door. <laughs> what and then, was that? And then the, the other guy, the um, the um, psychic, shows up and says, oh, no, don't do that. And he, he takes it away. What was the psychic's name? <laughs> it wasn't Rudy. It was... Uh, Julian. Julian. That's What's your real name? Julian. 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 Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, you know, the first time you see it, I think you're expected to believe that he's the murderer. Yeah. Julian. Julian. And you've seen the other five movies, so you, you know that either it wasn't Cheney, probably wasn't Cheney, or if it was Cheney, it was justified as in Strange Confession. Spoiler alert, this time it's Cheney. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess that's one way to wrap up the series. It's finally him. <laughs> um, but I felt kind of betrayed. Because I thought Lon was sort of our guide through this series. And, you know, if you're going to have him be the killer, make it a really good movie. Right. He deserves more than yeah. that. As, as a killer, as a as a villainous type character, I think Cheney deserves more than Pillow of Death. Yeah. But, you know, Universal did not take these films nearly as seriously as we're taking them now. Well, that's true. I mean, this one was released mid-December. <laughs> you put out Pillow of Death around Christmas time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why not? <laughs> Fun oh. for the whole family. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it was also the last film that uh, Lon Jr. did under contract to Universal. And I guess they weren't ending on the best of terms. And it's even possible that, uh, uh, you know, this is pure speculation, but let's do an inner sanctum where we don't use Lon very much and he's the bad guy. Mm. I don't know. Could be, but... He did two more films for Universal, but not uh, not on an extended contract, just as one-offs. And those would be uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and uh, The Black Castle. Is it Black Castle or Black Sleep? Black Castle. Black okay. Sleep was Buena Vista. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Black Castle, I think, 52. Okay. It's pre-Black Sleep. And it just came back, you know, came home to do a couple more for Universal. His best work, aside from Of Mice and Men and High Noon, was all with Universal. Sure. Um, and particularly the the Talbot films. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I would say after that, Calling Dr. Death and Weird Woman. Mm -hmm. You know, because he didn't have much to do in the Mummy films. I think he did okay in Ghost of Frankenstein, but wasn't properly directed. 
when people say that he's too stern and, and relatively emotionless and goes to Frankenstein, that assumes that that was his choice. No, that's actually the director's choice. Yeah. We know from A Bison Man and Talbot that Long can do a lot mm-hmm. with his, his face to, to engender sympathy and, and show some emotional range. If he's not doing that, it's because he's being instructed not to do that, I've got to assume. The other thing is, and I'm not, not the one who came up with this, but I saw it as a, as a letter in Nostalgia Digest. If he's not stoic, then there's not nearly the shock at the end when he essentially plays Bela Lugosi. He plays Igor. The smile that That's comes true. on his face. That's true. So it sets that up so nicely. You've got to have the difference. Yeah. You've got to have that. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, because those are very effective shots mm-hmm. when he's mouthing to Lugosi's dialogue as the Frankenstein monster. And you see the glimmer in his, in his well, you don't see the glimmer in his eye because his heavy lid is coming down. But you see his mouth turn up. and There's still a twinkle there, though. There's, some, there's, there's, <laughs> there's this, something. something there where you can tell that he he is playing a different character now. Oh yeah, he's a completely different guy. Right, Monster Two Point Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't call it an upgrade. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, he has strength of a thousand men, and now and now Igor's brain. That's a very bad combination. <laughs> a very bad yeah. combination that I wish they would have played off of a little bit more as the series went on. But yeah. the audiences of these things changed as the movies went along. And the original plan in the next film, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, was to have Cheney play both characters. And really, he should have. That would have been amazing. He should have. I, that would have required some body doubling. It would have been a little bit more work. Uh, but that's all right, uh, because poor Bela turned 60 on the set while playing the Frankenstein monster, and that's why we see as much Eddie Parker, uh, yeah. the stuntman, as we do uh, see Bela. And, you know, I want to see a blind but physically threatening Frankenstein monster. How amazing would that have been? Yeah, yeah. God, all the what ifs and the woulda coulda shouldas when it yeah. comes to these movies as rabid fans yeah. we've gone and we've read all the interviews yep. and looked at all the scripts that never got filmed and all the alternate this or that god man if it, just to see these things come to fruition would have been amazing and to hear frankenstein meets the wolfman even with bela playing the monster but speaking as the monster like he was supposed originally to originally scripted and shot and shot and shot but where is that reel of tape if they ever excavate it man uh, you and I are going to the uh, the opening night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've joked on this show, what would I do with a time machine? Go yeah. back and kill Hitler? No. I'd go back and watch all these movies and save all this footage. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Priorities, man. <laughs> Supposedly, when they screened it with Lugosi uh, speaking as the monster, saying things to tell that, like, uh, make them go away. I don't want to see them. You know, people were laughing. Okay, well, that doesn't mean that the whole idea is wrong. Mm-hmm. It means that it's maybe not been handled well. Right. Editing can fix some of that. Edit it, reshoot a few things. Don't just jettison the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, they didn't care as much as we do. True. But getting back to Inner Sanctum, <laughs> <laughs> I think Reginald LeBorg cared. I've got a copy of a book here, The Films of Reginald LeBorg. I need to get a copy of that book. That looks amazing. Wheeler Winston Dixon. It's a slim hardcover. And like Edgar Ulmer... He was saddled with weak scripts and limited budgets and short uh, shooting schedules. But damned if he didn't come up with some pretty fine results Mm -hmm. much of the time. And I know that the actors cared, too. There's commitment in these these portrayals by by Cheney and Anchors and Gwyn and Naish. Oh, Naish, for sure. (laughs) You know, if Lon is the star... 
then Naish is the MVP of this series just for two performances. Mm -hmm. And Anchors is terrific, too. They elevate the material. Even in a movie like The Frozen Ghost, Stone's performance Mm -hmm. as the agent friend, but not really. Yeah. That's uh, with friends like these. <laughs> exactly. I mean, even something yeah. like that, you can see they're not just phoning it in like maybe they did in Pillow of Death. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> right. Right. Lon didn't even seem like he was really no. on board for Pillow of Death. They He's were like, done. This is my last film under contract, get me out of here. Mm-hmm. You can see a little bit of that going on. And that's why he's not as likable in the role, that plus the fact that he's playing a lawyer. I really shouldn't talk that way because I come from a family of lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> my father and two of my three siblings, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's, it's not as interesting as seeing him play a, an ethnologist or a professional uh, mentalist. Well, in the previous five Inner Sanctum films, the one person he needed in his life was a lawyer. That's true. <laughs> a really good lawyer. <laughs> That's certainly true. <laughs> he almost gets one in Strange... Well, I guess he does get one in Strange Confession, but then... Yeah, he does. Then he becomes the one in, in Pillow of Death, I guess. One thing that's nice about Strange Confession is uh, it's sort of an ambiguous ending. It's not that we don't know what has happened. It's that we have no idea what's going to happen next. He has He has a representative now for his justifiable homicide, his temporary insanity plea, I assume, is what's going to happen, and, and and rightly so. We don't know, however, what the outcome is going to be, and we're not even entirely sure what the impact of all of this is going to be on, on, on the marriage. On the marriage, and I think there's even some question, is he going to live? Right. Somebody got shot. Yeah. And at first, I thought it was, the first time I saw it, I thought the wife got it, because uh. she collapses against the pillar and slides down. But then you get into the the very end, and, and she comes back. And she comes back. Yeah, and she's okay. Now the the lawyer is checking out Lon's chest, and yeah, you don't see anything again. You don't see it, and you didn't need to see it. You didn't right. need to see a bunch of blood all over the place. Right. But I hope he lives in well, the yeah. same, for the same reason that a, you know, I really want my Talbot to be cured once and for all. <laughs> These guys have been through hell. They deserve you know? a happy they ending. They deserve a break. They do. They really do. Well, one break for Lon Chaney Jr. was that he got to be a leading man. And boy, does he do it well. I think he does. He pulls it off. And yeah. If, if people, I know people criticize his performance in these films. It's something that you and I talk about a lot. It's lazy. It's such an opportunity for him to portray a character that he did not get the opportunity to do because he looked good in makeup as well. You know, yeah. Put him in the monster makeup, he looks great. Yeah. Put him in a good suit. I think he still looks great. Yeah, he does look great. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine who is the wife of someone who has been on your show, I'll just leave it at that, has uh, <laughs> has uh, made some you know, catcall-type sounds about uh, seeing Lon <laughs> filling out one of those nice broad-shouldered, uh-huh. and, and he had the broad shoulders to do it, 1940s suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and particularly, uh, I think the example that she gave is uh, when Lon somehow, uh, when Talbot somehow gets the funds to buy a new suit in in the middle of <laughs> Frankenstein meets the Wolfman to show up for his uh, his date with uh, his initial meeting with Elsa Frankenstein and she he comes in the door and he looks like a million bucks he looks great in these movies too mm-hmm. and in in strange confession you get to see his wardrobe improve as well as that of his wife as he goes from underpaid researcher to underpaid pharmacist to well-paid researcher they get a house to replace their boarding house apartment. They get a maid. They get a live-in <laughs> Irish maid. Yes. There's your stereotype. There's your stereotype. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, 
he's an attractive actor and and not just physically but in the way that he can get us to feel for him and care about him care about his fate does that make him a one-note actor no i've heard that criticism i think he shows more range in this series than he was permitted to do in a lot of the rest of his assignments i agree i agree even in just the one movie you see him play these distinct in some cases like in strange confession long playing arcs Mm -hmm. where you see him go from one place to another and a lot of times in some of the monster movies, he didn't get a chance to do that. That's right. I mean, not just the mummy movies, but even something like House of Frankenstein or House mm-hmm. of Dracula. He didn't always have the room to grow like that. Yeah. And in these movies, he puts on a class. Mm-hmm. He does. We may get mail. You may get mail on this or calls. We are running in the face of tradition when we defend him as a, a leading man and as someone who can tackle roles of people more educated than Cheney was in himself in real life. He's an actor. That's what you do. Yes. You find that element of the sociology professor that uh, you can relate to, and either you do a little research, or you maybe meet a sociology professor or two, or you just go in deep with the script and think about, you know, here's the thing. All right, so... When my first novel was published in 2002, Unplugged, and it's the story of a a young rock musician, a young woman, 27-year-old, female, bisexual rock musician, and uh, a survivor of rape. And virtually none of that describes me. And that's why it's called fiction, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so I would get this question all the time in bookstores, during the Q&A, how do you write from the female point of view? And I would say, first of all, there's no such thing. Right. There are 3.5 billion of those female points of views. And secondly, I don't subscribe to Mars Venus. You know, I think that the the sexes have much more in common than there is that separates them. It's easier for me, who has lived in relationship and in community with contemporary American women to write about or from the point of view of a contemporary American woman than it would be for me to write about a 14th century Latvian fisherman. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't know where to begin with him. But if I can be genuine to this particular woman, then great. And, And bringing it back to Inner Sanctum, Cheney doesn't have to represent all sociologists. No. He just has to give us one that we can believe. A lot of people don't believe that character, but I do. I believe his his neurologist, his sociologist, his artist, his hypnotist, and his biochemist. I just don't believe his lawyer. (laughs) I I don't know. I, I believed the lawyer, but I didn't believe the lawyer that killed yeah, right. I, that was right. The, the thing that bothered me at the end of that. That's actually a good point. Yeah. I believe him as a lawyer. But it feels like the script of that film conspires against the character. Yes, it's in many tw- ways. It's a twist that does not grow organically out of the plot. It just kind of comes out of... It's enforced upon the plot mm-hmm. as a kind of a trick. It, it's a trick that doesn't work. It's, you know, pull the bunny out of the hat and it's dead. That's <laughs> that's not a very entertaining what kind of trick. magic shows that you go to the kid? That's terrible. <laughs> you pull it out and it's just the head. <laughs> and then you have to get a little case for it so you can take it over to your attorney's house. Sort of a bowling, bag, yeah. bowling ball case. It's like right. so you put a, a ping well, pong ball in. Well, there was that scene in, uh, about two-thirds of the way through Strange Confession, which, you know, for those who haven't seen it, Cheney shows up at the beginning at, at his classmates, his, his uh, home, the lawyer's home, 
with a, what looks like a bowling ball bag. Uh, it's a some kind of portmanteau, and it, it's big enough for a hat, a human hat, mm-hmm. which is in fact what's inside. Um, <laughs> you know, he opens it, but we don't get to see what's in there. The lawyer sees it, and then the tale begins. Two thirds of the way through the movie, the doctor making his house call um, on the sick boy, Cheney's son, has a medical bag and. Derek and I were looking at that and thinking, hmm, is there a child's head inside there, perhaps? Somebody check on Tommy, make sure he's still alive. Exactly. Check on Tommy, for God's sake, <laughs> before it's too late. Yeah, you know, and that's the other thing. You, you can watch the, the, a film like, well, any of these, really, and enjoy it on, on the level of good cinema. Or you yeah. can have a few drinks and, and watch it as, you know, something to, to laugh at. But you'll have a hard time, I think, doing that with the two or three best films in here because they hold up very well. I agree. All these years later. How many years later? Oh, yeah. 72. Wow. Yeah. 72. See, that's that's saying something right there. That's staying power for these movies. And I feel like a lot of Monster Kids or Monster Movie fans, they kind of brush over these films. Mm-hmm. I did the first time around when I first started getting into these things. I'm glad I picked up that DVD. It was like six bucks on Amazon oh, when I got it. It's a little crazy. bit more expensive now. Yeah. But, I mean, six dollars for six quality films? Mm-hmm. They're only about an hour piece, but they don't need to be any longer for what they are. Yeah, I think that's a selling point, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've said everything there is to be said about the Inner Sanctum Mysteries and in some cases, multiple times we've said it. <laughs> well, there's a lot to a lot to love about these movies, and I'd be real curious whether or not any of the listeners have seen these movies, enjoy them the way that we do. I'd love to hear from listeners. Uh, email monsterkidradio at gmail dot com, or uh, give us a call at five zero three four seven nine five six five seven. It's five zero three four seven nine five M K R, and let let us know. Let me know. If you've seen the Inner Sanctum films, what do you think of them? If you agree with our order of ranking in terms of which ones are the best ones. I'm still with Weird Woman, but now just talking to Paul, now I'm like, oh, calling Dr. Death. I need to I need to watch that one again. I, I put them both up top. You know, I suppose another way to look at this is just in terms of the American film industry at the B level, which in a way is more representative of the country's state of mind than than the big headlining films because – this is sort of the the populist uh, element would be the B picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, struggling with notions of psychopathology in the wake of Freudian theory and psychotherapy in the early 40s. This is all pretty new for America. It's been around for a while in Europe and is just coming into vogue here. Whether they set out to uh, do it or not, these films are a product of their times, as every yes. movie is a product mm-hmm. of its times. They're contemporary. None of these is a period piece. They all take place during the year in which they were made, 43, 44, 45. And uh, so there, it is a window into notions of psychopathology, sociopathy. Uh, there, there was a line in one of them, I think it was Pillow of Death, about you know, he's a sociopathic killer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean exactly? And, and the mind uh, is a mystery. Of course it is. There's more that we don't know about the workings of the brain than there is that we do. And that was even more the case 70-some years ago. And so, you know, we can laugh at the the head in a bubble. (laughs) (laughs) Even you. But even you, listener. (laughs) Even you, Monster Kid Radio podcast listener, can commit 
murder. I'm not authorizing you to. No, no, no. The no. The, the thoughts and opinions of the man in the fishbowl <laughs> do not necessarily reflect the <laughs> those of Rob Monster Kid Radio. That's right. And don't use it as a defense in court either. <laughs> Unless Lon Chaney Jr. is your attorney, then you know I want to go and see how this thing goes down. <laughs> These are fun films. Yeah. They're great films, and I've had a blast chatting with Paul McComas in person, in person ladies and gentlemen. No with Scott, Derek Cook. No, no voicemail. It's it's all. Person face to face here, it's awesome. It's this been a been, real a real treat, Derek. It's you know having you uh, crash Monster Kid Radio headquarters has been fun. Before you leave, I got to get a picture of you with the Rondo. Well, the two of us with the Rondo. Yes. Oh, all right, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> and if you are back up in the area again, and I believe you are going to be, I know you'll be busy, but we got to meet up and talk monster yeah, movies we, at some we, point. We'll definitely uh, take some time to do that. Yeah, definitely. And in the future, we'll talk Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde on the show. Listeners, thank you for listening. Paul, thank you for being part of the show, man. Derek, thank you for doing MKR. To learn more about what's going on with Paul, head over to his website at paulmacomas.com. That's P-A-U-L-M-C-C-O-M-A-S.com. This is where you're going to find information about all of his books, all of his ongoing projects. And during the conversation, he mentioned at one point that he was an amateur teenage movie maker. I've seen some of these movies, and you can buy them for yourself over at his website. Just click on the store button, scroll down, you're going to see some charity DVDs. The money from the sale of these DVDs all goes to blood donation services, so you can support charity and get your hands on some cool Monster Kid movies. Of course, you can buy his books and CDs there as well. Thanks, Paul, for appearing on Monster Kid Radio. Oh, and not that I would discourage anybody emailing the show, because I love getting feedback but you don't have to email me about Lloyd Bridges. I did find out after I recorded with Paul that Lloyd Bridges was working on the Universal lot in the 40s. He was in the serial Secret Agent X9. Now, I've never seen this serial, but it looks cool. It looks like something I need to get my hands on. Lloyd Bridges as a super agent? That sounds like a lot of fun. Dwight Kemper is an actor, an author, and a monster kid, and he's been on Monster Kid Radio earlier this year, episodes 189 and 190. He was involved in the incredible fun film, Tales of Dracula. He is the author behind books like Who Framed Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi in the House of Doom. I've read both of these books. They're a lot of fun. They're murder mysteries set during the production of some of our favorite monster films, Bela, Boris, Abbott and Costello, Lon Chaney. They all show up in these books. There's another book in the series called The Vampire's Tomb Mystery. Now, that's also a very fun book. Came out a few years ago. However, there is something brand new that just came out involving this, and that's the CD release. It's an audiobook now, produced by Circle of Spears Productions. Head over to eBay and look up Vampire's Tomb Mystery. As of this recording, there are nine copies left. The 30 bucks. $29.95 for eight CDs. This is read by Sam Burns with additional voices by Helen Sterling. I've heard a sample, and Sterling gets the voice down right. I don't want to say whose voice, because I want it to be a surprise, but it is somebody who's near and dear to all Monster Kid hearts. If you want to hear an audio sample, head over to circleofspears.com and look up The Vampire's Tomb Mystery because they have an audio sample there. Circle of Spears is based out of the UK. So if you live in the UK, buy it from their website. But if you live here in the States, go to eBay and pick it up that way because you're going to be helping support Dwight directly. Monster Kids got to look out for each other and entertain each other. And that's what Dwight does with his books. And I can't wait to get my hands on the CDs. They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. 
zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the Earth. Plan 9 from outer space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electro gun! No! No! Stop him, Dad! I can't get it! It's Jeff! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. And we're winding down this episode of Monster Kid Radio. But before we do that, I want to tell you about some events coming up here in the Portland, Oregon area. If you are in the area this month, this October, there are four, count them, four Monster Kid Radio crashes coming up starting this weekend. Okay, and technically there are two crashes happening on Saturday, but it's really at the same place, one right after the other. The Joy Cinema is doing their Scarathon, where they're going to show one, two, three, four, wow, that's six movies on Saturday, October 17th, starting at 1 p.m. I'm going to tell you the lineup. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Mad Magician in 3D, The Abominable Dr. Fibes, Return of the Living Dead, and The Omega Man. Now, these are all great movies, and if you're in the area, I highly recommend you check out the joy and give them some support. However, I know that I'm going to be there for at least two of those movies. I'm crashing Bride of Frankenstein at 3 p.m. and The Mad Magician in 3D at 5 p.m., and I'm told that the Three Stooges short Spooks will also be played in 3D along with The Mad Magician. If you're a Facebook user, you may have already seen the events that I've created for these Monster Kid Radio crashes. Well, what's a Monster Kid Radio crash? Basically, we just all meet up, watch a movie together. I've got my portable recorder, and I typically record before and after the movie with anybody who wants to appear on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. Talk about the movie we just saw, the event, that sort of thing, and just kind of chat it up. Now, that's not the only thing happening, though. The Joy Cinema, they're kicking things off this weekend. Later this month, Fathom Events is teaming up with hundreds of movie theaters across the country to show the movies Dracula and the Spanish-language version of Dracula. Now, this is the original Dracula from 31 with Bela Lugosi. The Spanish-language version that I'm talking about, this is the version of Dracula that Universal filmed on the same sets, on the same lots, at night after the English-speaking cast went home. Completely different cast, different crew, all in Spanish. I assume it's going to be subtitled. It's going to be playing and here in Oregon in Beaverton. Sunday, October 25th. 2 p.m. at the Century 16 Cedar Hills. We're crashing that. So if you're in the area, again, look me up. I'll have my recorder. And then finally, the night before Halloween. Do we call it Halloween Eve? October 30th, Friday, at the Northwest Film Center at the Portland Art Museum. 9.15 p.m., I walked with a zombie. This is one of my favorite zombie movies Period. It's got some iconic imagery, great music, great cinematography, shadow work. It's Val Luton. It's an amazing film. So I'm looking forward to seeing this one as well. If you are going to be in the area for any of these or all of them, let me know. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to record with you. I'd love to just watch the movie with you. 
think it'll be a lot of fun. Again, I've got these events created on Facebook, so there are some Facebook pages for these. If you're a Facebook user, go ahead and click that you're going. Now, I present for the first time on any stage, the lady and the buzzsaw. your bag at the studio and took mine by mistake. Where is it? Oh, Don, I... What's the matter? What have you done with it? I left it in a cab. Now, there's nothing to worry about, mister. I gave it to a cop. You gave it to a cop? What was in that bag, Don? It was a head. A human head. Don, Don, what's the matter with you? Don, keep away from me. <laughs> Why don't you laugh now? Die, please! Who are you? You're not Ross. Killed him. Yes. It's all right, Don. You don't have to worry about me. I, I would never turn you in. My poor dear Claire. Don't you know I wouldn't dare trust you? Monster Kid Radio wants you. If you have wiki skills, here's the thing. Monster Kid Radio is going to be putting together a Wikipedia Cyber Street team. If you are skilled in the ways of Wikipedia, if you can speak their language and code their coding, we would like to ask you for your help. Now, this is not a formalized campaign or anything like that, but if you ever hear anything about any of the topics that we talk about here on Monster Kid Radio that you think needs to be on Wikipedia, well, go ahead and do it. Monster Kid Radio does have a Wikipedia page, so you can go ahead and link back to us over there. We're just trying to get more information about these movies out into the general public, kind of make it a little bit more common knowledge because you know, the more people who know about these movies and know the trivia about these movies, the better. The more monster kids there are, well, the more people we get to go see awesome movies with and talk about movies with and go to conventions. I mean, it's part of our spreading the word and fighting the good fight for these films. So if you know how to use Wikipedia and you hear somebody mention something about Nosferatu, Creature from the Black Lagoon, House of Wax, Destination Interspace, any movie that we've talked about here on the show, we'd like to encourage you to update Wikipedia with that information. To be clear, I'm not asking you to update the Monster Kid Radio Wikipedia page. We don't need that. What we do need is more information about, well, what we love out there on the internet. brings us to the end of this episode of monster kid radio once again thanks to paul mccomas for crashing monster kid radio headquarters to talk about these six intersanctum films i hope you guys and gals dug the conversation i know i had fun having the conversation and then editing the conversation we definitely got to have paul on the show again in the future and once again paul happy birthday next week on monster kid radio episode 240 
we're going to be talking about a documentary. You know, with Halloween coming up, we celebrate the monsters, or at least I celebrate the monsters. I love seeing the monsters everywhere this time of year. I go to Target, I go to the grocery store, I go to the mall, I go to work, I see the iconic faces. Frankenstein's monster, a wolfman here or there, maybe a vampire. These images are part of the Halloween experience for me. Okay, actually, they're part of my experience, period. But I love seeing them all over the place. Well, you know, there's one man who helped to make these creatures, these images iconic, and that man was makeup artist Jack Pierce. So next week, we're going to be talking with filmmaker Strephon Taylor and his documentary, Jack Pierce, the Maker of Monsters. The art of makeup today is developing so rapidly that there is no such thing as an impossible makeup. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end. He had his own sanctum sanctorum. Jack Pierce fancied himself the maker of monsters. He is arguably the single most influential makeup artist in history. He created the looks of characters for horror classics, such as Frankenstein and Wolfman and the Bride of Frankenstein and the Mummy. We're going to go over our top three favorite Jack Pierce monster creations. It's going to be a lot of fun, so come back for that. Between now and then, if you want to know anything about Monster Kid Radio, head over to monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find links to everything that we talk about here on the show. Links to every Monster Kid Radio crash page. Links to Paul's site. Links to Dwight's listing for his CD version of the Vampire Suit Mystery on eBay. And links to our Patreon page, where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show financially thank you for all of those who already do that you can also find a link to our facebook group where you can enjoy conversations with other listeners of monster kid radio between episodes and a link to every single song that's appeared here on the show also over on the right underneath the head of rondo hatton there's a place for you to subscribe to the monster rally checkpoint put in your email address hit subscribe and you're going to get a monthly e-newsletter which is filled with original content from me information about monster kid radio as well as a column called the creature connection which is about the creature from the black lagoon monster movie trivia questions and just whatever odds and ends i can throw in to keep you entertained month to month we've got some big plans for monster kid radio in the near future we're going to announce all of those big plans first in the monster rally checkpoint e newsletter if you are a user of facebook please consider giving us a like just go to facebook.com slash monster kid radio and maybe even share the posts announcing new episodes of monster kid radio if you're a twitter user please retweet the tweets and if you're an itunes user we can always use another itunes review or two thank you for all of your support thank you for spending However long this episode ends up being with us here on Monster Kid Radio, I appreciate it. Just having you guys and gals along for the ride means the world to me. Until next week, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. Oh, oh, and I almost forgot our contact information, monsterkidradio at gmail.com. That's our email address. If you have any thoughts about anything that we've talked about here on this episode or any previous episodes of Monster Kid Radio, that's how you do it. Or shoot us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Okay, 
Now we're done. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Señor Lobo. That belongs to the band Surf Flamingo. It's from the album The Coro Oceanica. You can find them online at surfflamingo.com. Now that's Surf Flamingo, one word, only one F, however. Or go to surfflamingo.bandcamp.com or just follow the link in the show notes. However you look them up, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week. Mm-hmm.